Well, good morning. As Pastor Rupert just said, I'm excited about today because we're starting this new series called Making Room. Would you turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, make some room. If you like them, you can look back and say, not you. You can sit closer to me. That's all right. Making room. I, I think it's safe to say in here that uh, most of us in this room, probably all of us in this room, we want to be blessed. Uh, we want God to bless every different area of our life, you know, from relationships to health to finances to raising kids. We want to be blessed, and it's safe to say that because the fact that you're here today is evidence that you want God's presence in your life. You want his direction. You want him to bless you. And we, we've titled this series Making Room because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the fact that God wants to bless you. He has blessings for you in every area of your life, but he, he, many times he will not just pour blessings on you that you can't handle. In fact, he wants to make sure that you have the ability to be able to receive what he wants to give you. And there are certain times that God will withhold things from us because we're not prepared to receive the blessing that he has for us. So our goal over these next several weeks is to make sure that we are making room and we're ready because I don't want to end up in heaven someday and find out that God had so much more for me, but I didn't receive it because I never was prepared for it. I never made room in order to be able to receive the blessing. So I want to dive into this today. I want to start by looking at a story in 2 Kings chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Kings 3. And while you're doing that, I want to just pray right now and uh, pray that God would help us throughout this entire series. So Heavenly Father, it's in Jesus' name that we stand before you today and we pray for your presence in this place. We pray that right now you would begin to make room in us so that we can receive this word, that we'd be changed. God, I pray that you would help me. I pray that nothing I would do or nothing in this room would be a distraction from what you want here, but I pray instead that you would just uh, fill this place with your Holy Spirit and speak through us now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 9, we pick up in the story here, and it says this. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire through, uh, of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He's saying he used to serve the prophet of God, Elijah, and he's a prophet now. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So here we have Elisha who's like the new prophet on the scene. Uh, his successor, Elijah, was the prophet of God. And back in this time, we see God chose to speak to his people through one person, that he'd fill them with his Holy Spirit, and then he'd speak to that person, and that prophet would then speak to all uh, of the nation. He'd speak to the leaders of the nation, and he would choose to talk to his people through a prophet. So Elijah was the prophet. We see that God uh, took him away. And in this process, we see that the mantle was handed down to a new prophet by the name of Elisha. 
So he's brand new on the scene, and we see that these three kings, uh, they want to find out, is there someone we can talk to? And they start asking around, uh, is, is there a prophet here? Because what happened is these three kings together decided that they were going to set out on something that should be pretty easy. There was a rebellion in the land, and if we send our armies out together, we should be able to just go squelch this rebellion and come back. And they went and did this, and, and they didn't require, acquire, inquire of God what uh, God would have them to do. So they found themselves out in the desert now, and they had run out of water, and they saw that their troops were close to death. The animals were close to death because of dehydration. So something that should have been so incredibly simple just became incredibly difficult. I wonder how many times you felt that way. I know I felt that way where it's like, I was just going about my business. This should have been an easy week. It should have been cake. But then the circumstances change and you go, oh my gosh, what happened here? Like, now, now I'm scared. Now it's like I got I to gotta find something bigger than myself. So here these kings are and they're going, uh, I don't think we have what it takes on our own to get through this. So we, maybe there's someone out here who could talk to God. And it's kind of interesting because... They didn't even know the name of the prophet of God. It just points out in this story that that's how long it's been since these kings tried to find out what God's plan was, not just for them, but for the nations. I wonder, what, what would it be like to, to be in a group of people who, who just stop even caring what God has to say about the situation? Like, there was a point in time, and we see it in history, where, where the whole nation of Israel, uh, they loved God, and they cherished him, and they followed after him, but, but we see now that the king of Israel is going, is there someone? Like, I don't know. Do you even know his name? That's how long it's been, and they finally call for Elisha. Say, maybe there's someone who could talk to God because after all, I, I've gotten myself in a big enough mess. Maybe we should see what God would want us to do. It, I wonder, why do we do that? Why is it that we treat God like he's the last resort? Like we say things, well, well now there's nothing else we can do but pray. Like, like he's going to be the last person we turn to? Like somehow God's in heaven going, yes, they picked me, I get to play. Like I was the last one picked, but at least I get to play. Right? Why do we do that? And here we see that these kings, they, they hadn't been following God. They found themselves in a big mess and they thought, uh-oh, we can't fix this mess on our own. wonder if there's anything God would do about this. So they call for Elisha. And Elisha, again, like I said, he's new on the scene, uh, certainly new to a relationship with these kings. But we've seen the chapter before in 2 Kings chapter 2, he's already had a couple miracles. We see that there was a polluted spring, it was a cursed spring, and no one could drink from it, and uh, they couldn't grow crops with the water there. And he went and blessed the spring, and then it became healthy again and pure and fresh. Uh, we see there was that miracle. We see there was another miracle, it's kind of a strange one, where... Apparently, Elisha was bald because there was a group of young boys who started making fun of him. They were mocking him, and they started calling him, Baldy, Baldy, Baldy. And the Bible says that Elisha actually called out of the mountains. He called bears out of the mountains. Bears came out of the woods and mauled these little boys for calling him bald. That is actually in the Bible. The moral of the story, don't make fun of bald people. It's in the Bible. I just... So... He's new to this whole job of 
being the prophet, being the one that God speaks through to the kings of Israel and to, um, and to all the people of Israel. And you would think, you know, you would just think if somehow you had an opportunity to go before your leaders, go before a nation, and, and this was going to be like your very first impression, you'd think you'd go with your best. I mean, I know if this was an opportunity given to me, I would think about this. I'm going to go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up with something funny. You know, I'm going to then, I'm going to compliment how the kings look. I'm going to try to, you know, make sure that I'm on their side. They're on my side and and, and we've got some good connection there. And then I'm going to try to really bring some inspiration and some encouragement. But apparently, Elisha didn't get that memo. Because here Elisha gets his very first opportunity to speak to the kings as the prophet. Found in verse 13, it says this. Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. (laughs) Guys, I read this and think, that's not really a good first impression. That's not a good job interview. Maybe Elijah should have done a better job at, at teaching him the art of faking it, right? Because here he has his first opportunity to speak to these kings, and and he comes out with a rebuke. He's like, what do you want with me? Like, you didn't talk to God before you got into this mess. You didn't consult me on this. You've been going to the prophets of your parents who are idol worshipers. You're just doing life your own way, trying to leave God out of it. You get yourself in trouble, and now you want to talk to me. What does this have to do with me? So he, he snaps back and like, my gosh, where did this confidence and this boldness come from? And I think we could take a step back and look and see that Elisha, he wasn't taught the art of faking it. He was taught the art of really speaking truth and speaking clearly and maybe pretty, pretty boldly. Because we see his predecessor, Elijah, the same spirit was in him, the same boldness, the same confidence, because it was Elijah who had a standoff with the prophets of Baal, and, and he told them, okay, we're going to see who, who's the true God, if, if Baal is God or if God is God. So why don't you worship Baal, and why don't you call upon him and see if he, if he can do anything for you, and then I'll worship God and call upon him, and we'll show you that God is true and he is almighty. So he told the prophets of Baal, start calling out to him, and they worshiped and they called out to him, and, and, and of course Baal wasn't able to answer because He's not the true God. He's just some demon that they were worshiping. So along the way, Elijah kind of takes a step back and he's, he starts mocking this group of people. He says, wait a minute. So apparently your little G God, he can't come through for you. Maybe he just doesn't hear you. Maybe he's on vacation right now. And in fact, he's probably in the bathroom. That's why he can't come here. He's occupado, right? So uh, maybe later when he's done taking care of his business, then he can come out. And he starts mocking these people. And we see that this is the predecessor to Elisha, who, who now Elisha is saying, you know what? Someone has to stand up and someone has to speak for the fact that God loves his people and doesn't want to be excluded. So... Here he, he snaps back at these kings. And he says, what do you want with me? Why now that you've gotten yourself in trouble are you coming before God? And I think, you know, that there's an element of a little frustration from a human side here. But I think that there's something beautiful and something wonderful about the grace of God in this. Because how many times have we found ourselves in a mess? 
And in our sticky situation, in our mess, it causes us to lean in and go, you know what, I haven't, I haven't been talking to God about this. And maybe I should lean into God and see what God wants me to do. And anytime you find yourself in a difficult place and it causes you to rely on God more, maybe that can be a beautiful starting point for a turnaround in your life. So here he, he, we see obviously Elisha's frustrated and he's saying, you know, why, why don't you go to the prophets of your father and your mother and the king of Israel comes back and goes, no. And, and now remember, remember the king of Israel is a wicked king. He hasn't been talking to God. He, he, he's been far away, but now he's found himself in a scary situation. He, he, he wants to see what God has to say about this and he comes back with a pretty, pretty harsh statement. He says, no, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. Huh. Isn't it funny how God hardly gets any of the credit when things are going good, but as soon as things are difficult, he gets the bulk of the blame. You could probably predict here that Elisha's not going to let a statement like that just slide. So Elisha, in all of his confidence, responds back in verse 14. Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. I love this because he, he is like, he's in this king's face right now. Who do you think you are? You're here saying that this is God's fault. You leave God out of the whole problem here and then now you're blaming this on God as though somehow it's God's fault and you're, you're bothering me and you've never even talked to me before so he's right back in his face. He's saying, I wouldn't even look at you or notice you. I'm here for other people. You're just in the room. You're not even worth my time and then he comes with such a strange statement. He says, now someone bring me my harpist. Wait, what? That's exactly what the Bible says. He's telling off this king, and he says, but now bring me a harpist. Okay, guys, let's be honest. That's a little bit strange, right? Have you ever been in the middle of just telling someone off, telling them how it is, and you're like, would someone bring me a guitar? Like, in a harpist, really? Like, could there be a more difficult and more strange instrument that, that he calls upon? You think, how weird is that? Like, this prophet, he's got to have certain things before he can prophesy. Like, the musician who needs, like, blue M&Ms backstage before he goes out, right? It's really weird, okay? But we see here and we learn from history that a lot of prophets would travel with musicians. They would travel with harpists and and they did this because they wanted someone to come alongside them and set the mood so that they could hear from God. Set the mood so that they could sense the presence of God. And you know what? That's, that's a lot of why we have so much music around the church. As, you know, we worship him because he tells us to worship him. But we, we have so much music and we, we play music before services and during the service. And at the end of a service, during different altar calls and stuff, there will be someone who comes up and plays on the piano so that we can begin to have an atmosphere set where we sense the presence of God more. Now understand, music does not increase the presence of God. Music increases your sensitivity to the presence of God. 
And Elisha here, he, he's frustrated. He's obviously angry at this king. He's got a lot of things in the flesh he'd like to say to this king. But he holds himself back and he says, you know what? No, no, no. I got to get in a place of worship. I got to get worshiping God. And, and, and I want to hear the harpist play so I can worship and I can pray. And I can start to hear God and put my anger aside and see what is it that God wants to speak to these three kings? What does he want to speak into our nation right now? Now, little setup here of what's taking place. There has to be so much excitement now. There's got to be some hope now with these kings because they've got to be thinking, you know, now is going to be the time where we get our answer from God. Certainly, there's going to be some sort of inspiration. Certainly, um, it, we're going to find out exactly what it is that God wants us to do. And they had to have been excited, thinking, you know, surely uh, the harpist is playing and Elisha's praying and we're waiting to hear. Certainly, God's going to come back with an answer like, your men aren't going to die in the desert. I'm going to send rain. I'm going to give you the breakthrough you need. I'm going to give you your miracle. I'm going to give you exactly what you need. But we learn in this passage that inspiration is a wonderful thing. And in fact, it's my hope and my prayer that every time you come to Fellowship Church, you're inspired here. That, that you hear what God's plan is for your life, that you worship and you get set in an atmosphere where you sense the presence of God. And I hope and pray that you're inspired every time you come here. But we learn from this passage is inspiration's a wonderful thing, but there's a big difference between inspiration and participation when it comes to the purposes of God. Because now we see that Elisha hears from God. And he's ready to tell these three kings. This is what the word of the Lord says. Verse 16. This is what the word of the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. So he said, okay. Make this valley full of ditches. In other words, he's saying, get digging. And this is not what I would have wanted to hear if I was a king. You know, think, wait a minute, uh, we prayed for a breakthrough. We prayed for a miracle, you see, because remember, we, we called you here because my men are dying in the desert and our animals are dying because there's a drought and we need water. And we thought, Elisha, if I just call you here, then you're going to hear from God and God's going to send a miracle. It's like God's going to be our lottery ticket and we can just cash it in. Somehow you can pay the water bill in heaven to get the water turned back on. And, and now you're telling me that what God wants me to do is start digging? To go out and, and dig ditches? Well, well no, we're, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're scared. And yet, very clearly, the answer that God has for these kings, the answer that he has for these nations is, if, if you want a blessing, if you want a miracle, then get digging. Start digging ditches. Because what they wanted was just a quick answer. They wanted a lottery ticket, but faith is not a lottery ticket. Faith is a work order. And that's when you say, well, God, I want, I, I want you to bless my finances. And God says, okay, I want to bless your finances, so get digging. Put me first when it comes to your finances. Start a, a, bu bu a bu bu budget. So hard to even say that word, right? Why? Because digging ditches is tough. Say, God, I want you to bless my kids. And, and God says, okay, then start digging. Start digging ditches. Do the hard work of getting them to church most weekends. You know, 
You, you can't expect God, God bless my kids. I want them to be number one. And then you go, well, we're going to miss church this week and that week. And we got this going on. And you're teaching your kids that everything else is more important than putting them first. And God's saying, yeah, I'll bless you and I'll put, I'll help your kids. But dig the ditches of showing them that I'm first. So God, bless my marriage. My marriage is about to fall apart. Like we need a miracle. Help us survive. And he says, okay, then dig a ditch. Dig out some time where you're worshiping with your spouse, where you're praying with your spouse, where you're learning together and growing together. Because see, there's a lot of times where we, we just want the breakthrough. We want the inspiration. Like, God, if I just pray, then certainly you're going to send the miracle. If I just pray, then, then certainly you're going to send the rain. But see, faith begins not just by praying, but it's, it's when you actually participate and what you're asking God for. And you say, I'm not just going to pray, but I'm going to do the hard work of digging the ditch in preparation for the fact that God could send rain. See, faith without works is dead. And that's why we, we come to church and we get inspired here. And maybe you come here and, and you hear things that God would have you to do and there's some, sort of, uh, some part of your life where God wants to encourage you to change it change a behavior, a habit, change something relationally, and you get inspired in church. But have you ever noticed the times that you leave here so inspired and you get home and you quickly find out that, that your family wasn't inspired the same way that you were? And they're not on the same page. And you want to see some changes, but now all of a sudden the music has stopped playing, the harpist is no longer there, and, and you're stuck with a shovel in your hand and you're going, oh my gosh, this is going to be some work. Wouldn't it just be great if we could like bring inspiration with us wherever we went? Like what if you could bring with you the worship team? So they went with you to the workplace, they went with you to your house. So anytime like you have a bad meeting at the office and once you're done with that meeting, Amanda and her team are standing out in the hallway and they're like, let's sing a worship song. Let's call Jesus into this place. Jesus, you're so great. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? What if you had the inspiration? What if I could follow you around and just preach to you through the mundane stuff of life? And you're doing the dishes, and I'm standing there, I'm going, scrub that dish, baby. Scrub that, scrub that dish like Jesus is right here with you, scrubbing the dish with you. Right? What if, what if we could carry around inspiration like that? Well, the truth is, we have our moments of inspiration. We have our moments where we hear, well, what God wants me to do is go dig a ditch, but then the music stops. Then you step out into the sun and you feel the sweat beads on your forehead and you realize, well, at some point I have to put a bandana on my head and I've got to grab a shovel and I've got to get digging. Because God's faith without works is dead. And the word of the Lord was to make this valley full of ditches and that's tough when you're already tired. They're already sore. Their, their body already hurts from not having water. This has been difficult, and, and it's difficult to dig when the ground is already dry. And, and they're there in the field, and they start digging. And, and see, there's a lot of people that, that ask questions like, why didn't God move on my behalf? But I've come to learn that God is waiting for you to move before he can begin moving on your behalf. Because what if these men didn't dig the ditches? What, what, let's think about that for a moment. What would happen if God sent rain and they didn't have the ditches? It's like they got to see it. Wow, that was so close. We, we had the water for a second and now it's gone. And now our animals are still dying of dehydration. Now they're still 
sickness among us and weakness among us because we're all so dehydrated. And yet he says, what I want you to do is dig a ditch. And guys, this shows us that Anytime we ask for a miracle from God, anytime we ask for him to bless us, anytime we ask for him to grow us, we see that God calls us to a level not just of inspiration, but to a level of participation. And there is a difference. Because we see that Jesus would call people to participation. Anytime there was a healing, I mean, you think of the man with the shriveled hand. Jesus said, I want you to stretch out your hand. Now, God obviously could have just healed his hand immediately the way it was, but he he expected the man to get involved and to participate in the miracle. This is where faith takes place. And the man, it took risk, it took being scared, it took his participation to to stretch out a hand that was shriveled. We see that when Jesus fed the 5,000, the first thing he did is he said, I want you to gather up in the groups and sit down together so that you're prepared to receive what I want to give you. God never gives you a miracle that you're not yet prepared to receive. That's the difference between inspiration and participation is God wants you to be involved in the blessing process. I learned this principle and my daughters learned this a couple years back. I mean, well, it was quite a few years back. They were a bit younger. We were at Sam's Club and we walked in and we saw that up on one of the shelves they had one of those huge playground sets set up. And this was like enormous, like three stories. It had the slide, the swing, the whole thing. And my kids went up to that like, Dad, that's so awesome. Can we get that in the backyard? It would be the coolest thing. We can play together. We can swing on it. It's going to be so cool. Dad, let's do it. And my kids, I'll tell you, in Sam's Club were inspired by what they saw. Dad, this is going to be awesome. And I looked at it and I'm thinking, that's going to be a lot of work. And I was like, girls, no, I don't know about this. Like, but dad, please, it's going to be awesome. So, okay, tell you what, because I looked at Amelie and she's nodding at me like, go ahead, get them the swing set. And, and, and we're looking at it, so girls, this is going to be a lot of work because it doesn't show up in the backyard like that. Like, we're going to get a bunch of big boxes in my truck, and then we're going to have to do a lot of work. I'm like, Dad, it's going to be awesome. We'll help you do it. We'll carry stuff. We'll do all the work. It's going to be so cool. Let's do it together. And I said, okay, girls, let's do this. And we bought it. We checked out. And two hours later, I was unloading all the stuff into the backyard at my house. And quickly, my daughters learned the difference between inspiration and participation. Because now we're 10 seconds into the process and my daughters are standing there and Kayla's holding a screwdriver in one hand and I ask her to pick up a piece of wood and she leaves up she goes, Dad, it's so hot out here. And my daughters, they made it about 30 minutes into the process of participation before they realized, yeah, I see, I see something I really want, but I don't know if I'm willing to, to get ready and get prepared to have it. Two days later, I learned the difference between participation and inspiration. And see, that, that's what happens when it comes to our relationship with God is there's a lot of things we ask for. And we say, God, I want, I want you to bless my marriage. I want you to bless my health. I want you to bless my finances. And we treat them like a lottery ticket. Like somehow we just say, God, I'm inspired to ask you for health. So give me health and think that he's just going to hand it down to us when we've never made the preparation or, or, or cut the ditches in our life or did the work in order to be able to receive health, in order to be able to continue to have health if he were to give it to us. So I wonder how many of us in this room, like, we pray for things all the time, but we've never been willing to pick up a shovel, never been willing to start digging a ditch. 
I think what's so incredible about this story is even though these kings, they didn't start off right. They didn't start off by asking God what his plan was. They, they went on their own way. They found themselves in a the mess. They, they, they asked God, would you give me a miracle? And they didn't get the answer they wanted. They got the answer of, okay, start doing the work and then I'll send the miracle. But what's so great about these kings is even though they didn't start right, they finished right. Because they decided to send their troops out and they started digging ditches and they made the valley full of ditches and they were digging in the hot dry ground, even though they didn't know if God was going to send the rain or not. They got prepared so that God could send the rain. And when they did this, we see in verse 20, the Bible says, the next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Did you get this? It wasn't until the ditches were in place. It wasn't until the people were prepared to receive the blessing from God. It wasn't until they made room, until God said, okay, now you're ready. Now I'm gonna send the blessing. I wonder, are you making room for God to bless you? It's really easy to, to get inspired. It's really easy to come in here and hear the music and hear a sermon and go, you know what, I, I, I want to see miracles change in my life. And I wonder, is there an area where God's telling you to dig a ditch? You say, yeah, God, I, I, I want my life to turn around when it comes to my health. I want you to bless me with health. I want you to help me lose weight. And God says, okay, then dig a ditch. Get up at five o'clock in the morning and start running. Put down the spoon. I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you what he's telling me right now. <laughs> you say, God, I want you to bless my marriage. He says, okay, dig a ditch. Put me right in the middle of it. God, I want you to bless my finances. He says, okay, then, then put me right in the middle of it. Do things my way. God, bless my kids. He says, okay, teach them about me. Show them that I gotta be number one. Are you willing to dig a ditch? Would you stand with me? I'm so thankful for the fact that God gives us the opportunity to participate in our blessings because, again, like I said earlier, what if these men never dug the ditches? What if he sent the rain and they saw there was an opportunity to get blessed, but I, I wasn't ready for it, so I missed it? That's not what God desires for you. God desires that you would get ready, that you dig the ditches, that you do the hard work in all different areas of your life so that he can have something to bless, so he can have something to be able to pour into. You might ask the question, well, really, how many ditches do you think God would be willing to fill in my life? Well, the question is, how many ditches are you willing to dig? Because the Bible says that the whole valley was full of ditches. It doesn't tell us how many ditches, but it just tells us that God filled all of them. I wonder, where are the areas of your life where you've been praying for God to give you a miracle? Are you willing to make room for that miracle? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now, I pray that you would inspire us. I pray that you would speak to us. And right now, in Jesus' name, as individuals, I pray that you would speak into each one of our spirits and tell us, what area do you want us to start digging? 
What things should we be getting rid of in our life? What relationships should we be investing into? God, where should we be marking out time where we can read our Bibles and worship you? Where should we be marking out time so we can get on the treadmill? Where, where is it, God, that we should be sending our kids so that they're learning about you and we're digging ditches in all the different areas of life? Tell us, God, right now, where is it you want me to start digging? And then I pray, God, for the faith to be able to move beyond inspiration to a point of participation to where when we leave here, we can continue to do the work and dig the ditch and get prepared so that, God, we don't miss out on the miracles. So, Lord, we thank you for your love, and we pray over these next several weeks as a church you would help us be people who prepare our lives for the blessings that you have for us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to ask the piano to stop for just a moment. This is where faith begins. The music has stopped. The sermon is over. The inspiration will soon fade away. Do you have the faith to dig a ditch? Love you guys. See you next week.